what the data is telling us is that no one can hide. In recruiting, you always have that one hire manager that says, you never meet me, you never meet my goals, you're never doing this, you're never doing that. In sprint recruiting, if they're not providing us the feedback that we need to, the ability and the authority for that manager to call me and complain is null and void. Don't conduct your analysis in isolation because data is so incredibly powerful. Not defending just the tribe, but defending the organization. Those creative people that you really want to keep empowered, keep excited, keep motivated, keep thinking. A good experience pays dividends down the line. Stereotypes tend to break down in proximity. Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast about human resources, business, technology, and the workplace. My name is Ben Eubanks, your host, and I'm so glad you're here. Hey everyone, it's Ben Eubanks, host of We're Only Human. Really glad to have you here today. Today we are going to have a fun episode. I'm going to talk to Trent Cotton. He is the Director of Talent Acquisition for the U.S. at BBVA. And Trent was introduced to me by the team over at Vizier. They actually do analytics work in the HCM space. They're one of the leaders in the industry. And so I really appreciate them connecting with Trent for this conversation because it was a blast. I really enjoyed it. You'll, you'll pick that up pretty quickly, but it might be the longest episode that we've ever recorded because he gets really in-depth about the practices, how it works, the benefits, things to think through, very practical, but it's been pretty incredible to see this evolution of how they look at talent acquisition. And I can't wait to dive in. So I'll just go ahead and get out of the way Let's get on with the show. Hey, everybody. This is Ben Eubanks, host of We're Only Human. Really glad to have you here today. We have, we're have we going to have a good conversation. I'm, I'm excited about it. You know, uh, you've listened for any length of time, that when I worked in the HR space, my favorite thing to do was recruiting. It was so much fun trying to find talent and trying to, to use the insights that we had from that perspective to really dig up and, and sort through and find where we can find the best people, everything else. So it's a topic that I love and, and can't wait to talk about. And today I actually have a really phenomenal guest who's going to, we're going to dig in this together. We're going to nerd out a little bit in the best possible way. So I'd like to welcome Trent Cotton. He's the Director of Talent Acquisition for the U.S. for BBVA to the conversation today. Hey, welcome, Trent. Hey, how are you doing, man? I'm doing really well, sir. So to help everybody understand who you are. Uh, they're going to pick up that Southern accent probably as you go, which, which is fine. <laughs> I told you it'll be, it'll be uh, uh, comforting for both of us today, but tell us a little about who you are and what you do. All right. So I have the uh, fantastic opportunity to be able to lead the um, execution side of the recruiting strategy for the United States for BBBA. Uh, I've been in recruiting for about 15 years. I converted to, I always, tell my clients, uh, internal clients, that I converted to the dark side in 04, because uh, prior to this, I was actually a lender. So I was a banker and just got tired of banking and uh, went out on a limb and took a contract position uh, for another bank and um, just really realized that there's a, there were a lot of similarities from being a calling officer or a lender or a manager in banking and recruiting, and it really just kind of came down to managing relationships, finding prospects, and managing a pipeline, and then, of course, closing the deal. So I've been with uh, BBVA. It'll be 10 years this August, the second time. Uh, first time I left in 97 as a banker and came back as HR. So it's been a fun ride. We've been through a significant amount of change uh, just from an economic standpoint, uh, from an industry standpoint, but then also at BBVA, we, we've gone through it quite the transformation. Um, we're not even the same that we were five years ago, so it's really, really exciting. Awesome. Just for a sense of scope, because I'm curious, how big is the team there in terms of the, the kind 
company? Uh, for the recruiting side? Well, the recruiting side, but I was curious about what's the headcount for BBVA? Oh, like, uh, we're, we're, yeah, we're over, uh, over 10,000 in the United States and over 100,000 worldwide. And that's one thing that's really interesting in the United States. Not a lot of people know about BBVA. They may know us from whenever, um, you know, we worked with the NBA or they may have seen, uh, if they're in one of our markets like Texas or, uh, Florida or Alabama. In Arizona, uh, we've got a really, really good coverage there. But what's interesting, whenever I'm talking to candidates and they get really, um, to me, it's a game changer in the conversation is when I start talking about the worldwide presence that we have. And that's one thing that uh, that's a value prop that I think that we can offer candidates that we're talking to that not a lot of banks can. Um, and and we've got just such a unique story uh, and our commitment to be the fintech disruptor. And, um, you know, we've... I mean, we've got a, a group in San Francisco that does all this cool stuff um, from a fintech side that I wish I could talk about, but I can't. But I mean, it's just really, really <laughs> cool stuff. Uh, you want to talk about nerd out? We could totally do that for an hour just talking about all the different things that they do over there. So, you know, not just from a recruiting standpoint, like recruiting candidates in, but also whenever I'm adding people to our team, that's that to me is is one of the cool things that we have the opportunity to do is to continuously not just say that we're going to continuously improve, but the, the company truly challenges us and enables us to be able to constantly transform how we're doing things. And let's move quicker, faster, better, but also more efficiently, but never lose sight that our client is first and foremost the, the, the primary concern and everything else falls behind that. It's, uh, it's one of the reasons I've stayed with BBVA for 10 years, being honest. And I know that sounds cheesy, but I mean, that, that's about as genuine as I can get it. Yeah, well, it's so much easier to recruit for a company when you're really excited about the work they're doing. It is. Just like it's easier to sell something you believe in, it's easier to sell a culture, sell a brand, sell, you know, the positions of the company when you really love it. And so it would, it would be weird to find a recruiter that was successful that didn't have that kind of buy-in with the kind of company they're working for and and that belief that they're going places that are, that are good, that are going to lead to positive outcomes. Otherwise, every time you talk to a candidate, you're like, no, really, we're great. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'd love to give you an example, but I don't have any. So it's it's, mostly, yeah. it's easier for you to do that. So kind of bouncing off that a little bit, you, you said there's some things the company is doing more broadly that you're proud of, that you're excited about. What about in the recruiting side, the talent acquisition side of the house? What are some things that you guys are doing, maybe some results you've had, something like that, that you guys are really proud of? Well, one of the things that we started doing, uh, we did a beta test about 18 months ago. So uh, let me let me back up. And I think that everyone could probably relate that, that you have those moments in your career where you love what you do, but you're beating your head against the wall and you're kind of going, OK, there's got to be a better way. And I don't know if anybody else feels this way, but I, I most of the times whenever I get to that point, I also know that the answer is sitting right in front of me. I just can't see it. And so I need to step away. And um, one of the transformations that we've done within BBBA is um, shifting not just how we go through software and product delivery and, and solution to the agile methodology, but also as an organization, we've shifted to more of an organ, um, an agile organizational setup. And so as part of that process, I, I was really lucky. I got to go through a, a, a one week uh, intense agile and Kanban and scrum training. And then I think four weeks later, I was in design thinking training. And whenever I was having that moment of going, okay, there's got to be something different because I I was getting clients complaining. We're not getting enough candidates. You're not hiring the right people. Uh, You're not hiring them quick enough. But then I had recruiters going, I'm hiring a hundred people a month. 
And the numbers just, they weren't adding up to what the clients were saying, but I could kind of see what the client, I could empathize, uh, having been a non-recruiter and had to depend on a recruiter, I empathize with the client. And so kind of after the agile training, um, I listened to the book, uh, it's called Scrum by Justin Sutherland, and he really kind of breaks down the agile is a methodology. Scrum is kind of how you execute it. And just a light bulb went off. And so I came back to the team and I said, hey, I want to try something. And we did a couple of beta tests on um, applying the Agile methodology. And uh, after about the sixth or seventh iteration, it's when we, we felt like we struck gold. And so we call it sprint recruiting. So what we do is we go and meet with our lines of business or our, our senior executives and say, all right, for the next two weeks, you have 100 points. You have 20 positions or however many positions listed here. We want you to spend those $100 or those uh, 100 points and allocate our focus. I want you to define success using these points over the next two weeks. And that's going to dictate how I time block, how I source. And then um, one of the things that we found is there there's four pitfalls in what we call traditional recruiting. One is that everything's a priority, so nothing's a priority. And a lot of times we just kind of felt like we were chasing one fire after another, and it was very unproductive. The second was that um, there was no there was no stopgap in the process. So we were throwing candidates at some managers, uh, 15, 20 of them, and they were having either over-analysis, paralysis, or FOMO. And we were losing candidates as a result. So we were we were killing ourselves in two different ways. One, we were overwhelming our client. Two, we were not being productive and, and maybe five or six jobs we had a lot of candidates and we pushed them all through, but we were ignoring the other 15. But then three, we had a massive issue with candidate, um, uh, what do you call it, whenever they kind of defect or they go to a different uh, company because it took so long for us to get feedback, so we were losing. And the other was just the misalignment with the the client is we thought that we were doing a great job. They didn't think that we were doing something, but then the feedback loop was not there. And so within sprint recruiting, we developed four pillars that address each one of those pitfalls. The first one is at the point, the business drives the priority and they do that with the points. The second is we use whip limits or work in progress limits within um, the Agile methodology, we applied it to recruiting. And so those are our stop gaps. Once we have uh, a maximum of five scheduled interviews with the hiring manager and five resumes and our write-ups submitted to them, we move on to the next position in priority. And then the feedback loop helps us um, be able to maintain that momentum and make sure that the manager understands the necessity and the priority and the importance of getting us the feedback so that way we can fine tune the search, but also manage the candidate expectations. And then finally, I think that in traditional recruiting, there are a lot of times where we find something really, really great, uh, whether it's a new tool or a new process or a new candidate pool, but we never stop and go, okay, how can we scale this? Because it's just like the, I always use the analogy of the Lucille Ball when they're in the, the chocolate factory. And whenever people say, what's recruiting like? I said, well, traditional recruiting is a lot like that. It's just, you know, you're stuffing it anywhere. You just want to make sure that you try and get something done, uh, but you're not really being productive and your quality diminishes. And so that's one of the things I'm really proud about with the team. Uh, you know, the, the requisition, excuse me, the recruiting team. I'm so proud that they helped us kind of build this out and, and went through all the highs and lows and, and we're still tweaking it. Uh, we're still trying to make it better. Uh, but also really, really 
I don't even know the word, not proud, but thankful, I think, um, to the leadership that I work for that gives us the opportunity to be able to do something different, try something, break something. If we fail, that's fine. At least we know how not to do it. Not a lot of organizations allow that. And a lot of that is just because that, that's kind of the culture within BBDA. The other thing that I'm really proud of is um, kind of in tandem with the, the transition to Sprint, I just told the team, I said, guys, ladies, we have got, we've got to get more data driven. <clears throat> and so I, um, I heard the, the quote by William Denning and, and it became a, a kind of a motto for the team. It said, in, in God, we trust everything else must bring data. And we started looking at everything. And, and I think if you were to interview any of my team members, I go, he tracks everything. And I do. Um, I want to keep a pulse on it. And rather than recreating the wheel or, or, you know, following that definition of insanity, using the right data points to make sure that we're helping our businesses, one, make the right decisions, but also two, manage the expectations. And then three, a lot of times in, in internal recruiting groups, we become paper pushers. And our, this year in, in 2020, and I'm bringing the whole team together in March. And, you know, this year is our year of transformation. We are getting out of the paper pushing, chasing our tails and everything. We've got the tools that we need now. Uh, now it's going to be about how do we leverage that data to become the true talent consultants that our institution needs to be able to continue to revolutionize our industry. I'm a little passionate about this, if you couldn't tell. Yeah, I can tell. Just a little bit. Just slightly. And just a little bit. If I'm right. coming in too hot, let me know. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you on that. One of the questions I had, though, you're, you're talking about this major change taking the way mm -hmm. that you've done town, town acquisition forever and shifting that pretty dramatically and in some cases probably throttling some leaders and trying to oh, yeah. even that playing field. I'm curious about that initial response from the, the hiring managers when you when your when your team came to them and said, Okay, here's your allocation of points. Were was there excitement there? Was there a little bit of relief maybe because now it's a little bit more tangible? I'm kinda curious how they responded to that. Well you know it's interesting. Um I think recruiters do this innately. Okay, which ones do you want me to fill first? All what Sprint does is it just takes it one step further and it quantifies it. And what what I usually tell uh, during the training for either clients or, or new recruiters, I tell them the thing I love about Sprint, and sometimes I hate it depending on what the data is telling us, is that no one can hide. So in recruiting, you always have that one hire manager that says, you never meet me, you never meet my goals, you're never doing this, you're never doing that. In Sprint recruiting, if they're not providing us the feedback that we need to in time and we've hit that whip limit, and I've got reports now that show that that, that has been in whip limit exceeded status for the last two sprints, the ability and the authority for that manager to call me and complain is null and void because he's now the bottleneck. And now I can see it in, in, in data form. And a lot of the leaders that I've, I've worked with, uh, we just rolled this out in the high volume side, so the, the branch retail network uh, recruiting. And the thing I love is the conversations that we've been able to have. Um, so, and, and it's a lot of, with the kind of the senior side. So on the, on the network side, well, I call it the network side, the branch recruiting side, we have, you know, like your regional manager and then your district managers. Well, the regional manager has 500 points for their region. And then they allocate that out to each one of their districts, depending on the demand. So we may have one district that had, a, you know, over the last two weeks had a lot of positions come through that they need more points because we need to get that, that part staffed. So it gives that regional exec the flexibility to be able to drive his partners, us, 
as a resource and direct us where he wants us. Um, it's just, it's been fascinating because, you know, we're bankers. We like numbers. So it gives us a common language to be able to make sure that we're defining success in the exact same way. And whenever things go wrong, we talk about it. So in addition to having, you know, the, the, the two week sprint to be able to stop, we stop as a recruiting group because uh, we have daily standups um, and we go over how did you move the needle yesterday? Meaning how did you um, work on those that had points that were defined as priority for the, um, for the business? And then how are you going to do it today? And what are your obstacles? And that's been transformational for us. Uh, there's been times where someone's been struggling with something and somebody else on the team had um, solved the same problem four weeks ago. But if we didn't have that stand up as a group, we wouldn't know. And it's only 20 minutes, 20 minutes a day. So it gives me as a leader an ability to be able to make sure that I stay ahead of things for a massive organization. And a lot of the leaders, um, a lot of the leaders, it's funny, I call it a mind bender. So they love the idea. And they'll say, let's say they have 15 jobs and they give their top five jobs points. Inevitably, they'll call me and say, I don't know what's going on with these other ones. Okay. Do you know what's going on with your top five? Yeah. Okay. That's the definition of sprint. We're going to work on those others as soon as we get those five that you said are critical to your business. You defined it. Once we get those filled, then we'll move on to the next ones. Unless you've just got someone that walked in your door and you just need us to facilitate, we can do that. But we've time blocked, you know, this period of time during the day to get that done. Can you wait until then? And you can kind of hear the silence. And it's it, it's almost like, um, you know, whenever the, the TV has static on it, you know, there's a picture and a sound, but they can't quite make it out. It, that I just kind of let them process for a little bit. And they go, oh, OK, that makes sense. It reminds me of a story I heard a couple of years ago. A friend had um, a process that they were revising, like a talent process, and she said the last time around that all the managers kind of revolted against them, said, I, I'm not doing this, I'm not doing this. And so she said, we got all of them in the room, we kind of we locked the doors and said, we're not leaving until all of you figure out what you want to do. Because when we walk hmm. out of here, you're going to be on board because you had a hand in this, and you're not allowed to complain anymore because you right. it's your system, right? And this gives them some ownership over that process to to say this is a priority, and you know if you and you're working to that, you're working to their their expectations, and everybody's clear and aligned. And oh, gosh, I love it. I love it. This is such a cool example of of really um, very modern approach, very agile approach, obviously. But I, I love the yeah. of that. So let's. You, you talked about data a couple times. What mm -hmm. you, It sounds like, I, I don't put any words in your mouth, talk a little about some of the data that you actually prioritize. What sort of things are you capturing? What sort of things are you are you regularly visiting in these in these sprints so that you're paying attention to the right metrics and not just ones maybe that we've, we, we think are important but actually aren't leading to the right outcomes? Right. So um... – I felt I have fallen in love with Google data studio. So if, if there's anyone out there that goes, you know, I can work in Excel, but I don't know how to make all these bar charts, flow charts, all that other kind of stuff, check out Google data studio. It's a free resource. If you've got, um, you know, whether you're corporate Gmail or your personal Gmail, uh, you can connect it to sheets that has become my best. That, that is probably one of my favorite tools. Um, I can I can geek out on that for 30 or 40 minutes. But essentially what I did is um, we, we put everything biweekly, all of our jobs. 
and we've got everything that we need to track in columns and everything. And the recruiters kind of work through that and update the state uh, statuses, you know, put in recruiter notes about where they are and things. And it's a massive file. But then we use Data Studio to create tailored reports that are as real time as we can possibly get it. Because if I update something in Google Sheets right now within 30 seconds, I can hit refresh on that Data Studio dashboard that the client has and they see the same exact thing. Because that was another thing is that that a lot of times with the recruiters, we don't sell and we don't tell our clients everything that we're doing. We just assume that they know. Um, and there's not a lot of transparency in the process. So they don't know where the candidates are in the process. And then we get aggravated because they're calling every 10 minutes asking, where are we? Where are we? And I wanted to be able to provide a tool for the client um, to be able to see where things were and how we can track this stuff. So. If you looked at one of the dashboards that, that we created for our client, um, you'll see on the um, kind of upper left-hand corner, you've got the number of positions in a bar graph, and then there is a line graph on number that were closed, but it's by sprint. So we're not looking at it in January, how many positions were added. It's we're looking at it every two weeks. And that's really changed the conversation that I've been able to have in one-on-ones but then also with our HR partners and more importantly with our clients. So if I start seeing a trend up of, you know, if I'm looking at a district and that, you know, they've got 60 positions open one week and then it jumps to 93 the next sprint, I'm on the phone with the HR partner going, what's going on? I mean, are, you know, is this an industry thing? Is this a market thing? Do we have manager turnover? Whereas before it would be 30, well, you know, 30 days in arrears. And by that point, it's just a, you know, uh, what do you call it? A stage one fire by that point. Um, so that, that's one thing that we track. So right next to that though. So that, that's something that you need. That's kind of traditional stuff that you want, you usually report on. But then right next to it, we have, uh, our sprint points. So we've got the, uh, in the bar graph, we have the, the number of points that have been allocated, meaning this is what's available. We have how many we have won in a line graph, but then we also have extra credit. So I used the example uh, earlier of you have 15 positions, there's five that have points, but we end up closing some of the other ones that don't. And so we have a, a kind of an extra credit. If it's a certain grade level and below, it's five points. If it's certain grade level and below, it's, it's high point, uh, 10 points. I wanted to do that because a lot of times what we're finding, and we've found it a lot recently, is that the managers will say this is priority, but then I look at the extra credit and the extra credit is far surpassing what the priority points are. So as a leader, I get to kind of engage our client and say, okay, maybe we need to redefine what priority is because you have the recruiters working 60% of their time on all this extra credit stuff. And then you want to hold them accountable for priority and that's not going to work. Um, so that's something that we track. And then uh, we, we track kind of the different buckets. So we look at three primary swim lanes. How many candidates or how many jobs are sitting in that hiring manager interview or sitting with the hiring manager period? So whether we've submitted resumes or we've submitted um, candidates to be interviewed, how many requisitions in the sprint by district, by line of business, by whatever we want to splice it, um, how many of the total are sitting in that swim lane? How many are sitting in sourcing, meaning I have no candidates? And then how many are sitting with the recruiter, like they're actively uh, interviewing and engaging in candidates. So kind of that second stage of the process. And then how many are done? And we define done by the, the candidate said I do, so we're done. 
And so that's some of the things that we look at. Um, so that that's on the report that we look. Uh, we, we talk with our clients about it every two weeks. And like I said, they have access to it in real time. The other thing that um, that I look at, and I, I've started it toward uh, kind of middle of fourth quarter last year, really intensifying, and it's actually going to be uh, part of our KPIs this year, is we call them quick quits. I have to sometimes create acronyms, so I call it uh, Q2 or Q to the second power because the, the, the quick quits, I, I rarely can say it right. But I want to look at where are we missing the ball? So we've got a, an, an analytic tool uh, that ties into our payroll and our uh, HCM and, and everything else, and it's, it's pretty wicked. Uh, it gives us amazing detail, uh, amazing graphs, and it really allows, even for those that are not data nerds like me, uh, it, it allows data to tell a story. And so I've become almost obsessed with trying to understand where are we missing the ball? Why is someone quitting within the first 30 days, within the first 90, 180, within the first year? And with one of the um, one of the executives, he and I kind of have a pact. I said, um, I will guard the front gate if you guard the back. And with this tool, we're able to kind of see that within his division, you know, maybe by year two, we start losing people. But then we've also got a problem that something is going on uh, with the recruiting or the hiring managers or the onboarding or something. We don't know yet, but we now we, we can at least see that within the first six months, that's that's mission critical to keep some of these um, good candidates on board. So that's something else that, that we track. Now, you'll notice that I didn't bring up the fun little time to fill. And that, that's on purpose. I've With Sprint, time to fill kind of goes out the door. Because rather than saying we've hired this many people and we've cut down our time to fill from 45 days to 12 days, but we've done it by hiring the wrong people. So the time to fill does not reign supreme in, in our world. And a couple of the executives, they still bounce. They go, but, you know, that one's been open for, you know, 45 days. And that's fantastic. You haven't allocated any kind of points or said that it's important over the last six sprints. So why are we even talking about this position? And why are we talking about time to fill? It's irrelevant. If it's important. In the next sprint, give it, give us some points, and we'll get that thing closed. Yes. The minute you tell me it's important with the actual points, the, that's the yeah. minute we'll actually make a priority for ourselves too. And, and it's reminding the client that I'm giving you the opportunity to define success and to allocate our resources. And and, and sometimes it takes about three or four sprints whenever a new client comes in, and then it, then they lock in. And the other mind bender for the recruiter is, you know, I've just been so busy on this kind of stuff and it's uh, busy is fine. I, I don't like it. I, I'd much rather you be productive. Where are we on these? Cause that's what I'm calling you about. <laughs> these top five, where are we on those? And so it's a mind bender for both the recruiter and for the hiring manager whenever we put them through the training. And I don't know if I'm just sadistic, but I kind of love it. Um, watching them just kind of make this mental, uh, what do you call it? A, a, a paradigm shift. Yes. Yes. And then celebrating that moment where they have that aha. That is so much fun. It to is. See, it really is. It. It's, in some ways, it's almost like you're running this like it's an external sort of resource, the way you're allowing them to kind of resource the positions they, they deem important, just like you would if it was mm-hmm. a, if they, you were an external recruiting function. Um, but again, it creates a lot more clarity. It sets the expectations where everyone can agree on them. And it makes it much easier to have fruitful conversations with them about what their priorities are. Everything can't be a priority, unfortunately. Right. Li- 
I always make the joke. I don't live in the land of unlimited budgets. If I did, right. you know, we'd be able to we'd be able to you know put ten <laughs> recruiters on every job and we'd have them filled in a week. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. we have these constraints and we all have to work within those. And oh, that's really really interesting. Though, some of those things. Um, you know, but, honestly, Ben, the the the, the transformation of some of the the relationships that um, that I've been able to have with some of the managers. Um, and some of the executives that that can be a little hard and a little demanding, we've actually gotten closer. And so now the conversation is, all right, this is what your person is doing. And this is what my person is doing together. How are we going to, what's the solution here? And then we come up with a plan of action. Then we report back to each other. Hey, this is what I did. This is what I found out. What did you find out? Okay, cool. I think we're on the same page. Let's test it. And we'll talk about it in two weeks during our retro. And it, it just it's become almost like clockwork. And that stress uh, as a leader, that part is actually diminished because now we're, we're speaking the same language and both parties are accountable. I promise you, it, you know, you, you mentioned unlimited budgets. I mean, if, if someone came after me and said, you know, I'm going to offer you, you know, X times 10 amount, uh, but you have to do traditional recruiting, I would turn them down in a New York minute. I'll never go back. You said you said something there that reminded me. We had a had a conversation. Um, it's been a while back now with the the head of TNA, the head of town acquisition at HR Block, and mm-hmm. she didn't have a process quite as advanced as yours in the way that you guys are going about this. But that that first part where she kind of got them on the same page. You said you know kind of a common language. She was fighting that fight. You know everything can't be a priority. We can't do things last minute. We got to get on the same page. And the way that she solved the problem was she took the their hiring funnels and put them down and said, "Show me how we can make this work, right? You want to mm-hmm. give me some of your budget so we can sponsor this, so we can if we can find that person in, in two days, like you suddenly decided you need, you know." And she probably wasn't as in your face as I was just now, but she, <laughs> her approach was, "I want you to understand the reality of the work of the workload that we have and the the things you're trying to do. We want you to be successful. We want to do this job because this is our job. But at the end of the day." We have limitations on what we can do and how fast we can do it. And same as you, it was just about setting this common language. So when you say, well, how are your points? Someone that's been doing this, they're like, oh, I know he's not just saying points. You're saying priorities. And they're hearing right. it in that, that phrase. They can they understand how to have that conversation then. Um, again, I just I love it. I love it. I really I think that's a phenomenal way to do this. So. Well, and, and Ben, before before we move on, one yeah. of the when you were telling your story, it actually you know, one of those aha moments early on that I go, okay, it, because you don't want to be braggadocious and go, this is something I came up with. Of course, it's going to work. You, you know, I'm always looking and going, how can we make it better? Is this the right thing, or is this just something, some crazy idea that I've got that I'm exposing everybody to? The moment for me was whenever we were sitting with one of our clients. So uh, this line of business exec, I think he had eight different direct reports. And, you know, we were going, this was our second or third sprint with them. We were still kind of in that pilot dating phase. And um, we had a major initiative because uh, he was on the revenue side. So he had kind of your high rev um, manager uh, over that group. And then he had several low rev. Um, what was amazing to me was as a group, those eight managers said, hey, for the next two weeks, they're telling the recruiter. And I'm just sitting on the phone like my, my jaw's on the floor. I'm drooling going, what in the world's going on here? But the other managers said, hey, it's actually more important 
I mean, we'll just call that high rev manager, John Smith. Um, I'm going to defer my points to John Smith because as an organization, we have got to get those filled or we're not going to hit our numbers. So recruiter for the next two weeks, I'm going to tell my managers to lay off you. I want you all in on that. Their colleagues self-managed and said, okay, all of our hundred points are going to the high rev. And in two weeks we got six or seven offers out. And then, I mean, we, she was able to source but the other thing is that she was relinquished of that internal guilt of going, I'm not talking to every manager in my group because the team, her client team said, we agree. This is your priority. I've got your back. I'll talk to you in two weeks. It was unreal. Wow. Wow. That is so neat. Yeah, it was. It, it was. I mean, we, we've got some groups that just lock in and do it. And then we have other groups that, I mean, you know, one week they're sprint focused, the next week they go back to traditional. And I mean, you're going to have that in every every organization. Um, but it's been it's been really fascinating to watch. And then the data tracks that, that we're able to do and provide the client um, has also for those managers who use it. It's been great for the recruiters because it gives them a communication tool that's not email, that's not a telephone, that's not a 30-minute update call. Um, it's on, The onus is on the recruiter to keep that report updated so that way the, the manager has access to it. So it, it's giving them not just the opportunity to be able to direct our focus, but also giving them the information they need to be able to run their business and be successful. It's been fun. I can imagine there, like you said a minute ago, that some groups are more 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 receptive to this kind of approach than others and it might be right that example that the high revenue piece the people that are focused on those kind of things they realize like this this recruiting thing isn't just a fun activity we have to do to to keep things going it's there are actual implications of this if we hire the right person right. We hire the wrong person there you know it's there are bigger bigger things down the line bigger outcomes this is impacting and they're they're probably a little more ready to lean in they have that that mindset that'll be better adapted to that whereas someone who might be a little bit farther away from that may have a, a harder time i don't i don't know i can't can't see inside the organization but that's that's just my general sense just knowing no you're on you're, you're pretty accurate some of the same kinds of same kinds of issues um if you don't see that line of sight then it's harder to get them to understand maybe the whether it's a priority or not and, and to what degree it is so let's let's say that someone is listening to this and I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say everyone's probably really interested in this novel idea. I think it's, it's, it's so incredible. What advice would you give, whether it's going all in, right? This is a, this is a big change and you admitted that earlier on, whether it's something as far down the line as that and very, you know, I'm going to dive on both feet or if it's, I just want to be a little more data driven in how we're doing our recruiting. Any advice you might give someone, it could be reiterating one of the points you made earlier or something different we haven't talked about yet, but I'd love for someone to walk into this conversation that's listening thinking, wow, you know, I can do this one thing and it's going to help us to, to have better conversations with our leaders or to get better outcomes in recruiting. I'd love for you to share uh, some pieces of advice if you have any. So the, the, the first step is um, go to your client and ask them, what information is, is most important to you? And that's kind of the, the core concept of agile and design thinking is that it, it's client focused. So for, you know, some of the clients, they may bring up some of those traditional things, the time to fill the number of hires and things like that. But then, you know, have that conversation with them and push and say, okay, do we want to look on the back end? Where are the people leaving and where are they coming in from and where are they going to? What is a successful banker in our world, um, you know, what does that look like? Get get some of the data points from them. 
And then my advice would be pick one that you feel comfortable with and test it and start small and start with maybe one division. So if you've got a massive organization like ours, um, you know, with maybe 20 different divisions, start with one that's a good partner, not your easiest partner, not your fan, but that someone that you know will give you good uh, radical candor about how you're tracking that data. And that, that's important. And then as you two work through it together and refine that data and, and figure out what's the best reporting tool, how often does it need to be, who needs to do what, and then bring on, you know, maybe either attack another data point that you want to work with with that same client or bring on another client with that, that first data point. But a lot of times I think, and I think it's just how recruiters, how, how we're wired. It's just like, just rip that bandaid off and go charging into war with, you know, a little bit of a plan. Uh, what is that? Uh, Mike Tyson said everybody has a plan until they get, you know, knocked in the jaw. And, and I think that we learn that way too often. <laughs> Uh, but, but at least have an initial plan of going, okay, I want to test this and do it in sprints. So do it for two weeks and then sit down with your client and have a retro with them. What worked? What didn't? All right. What do we want to change? What were some obstacles? And then go and, and modulate, change it and evolve and then do it for three or four different iterations and then start taking on the next data point. But any, I can't stress it enough, and this is not a plug for Google, but the, the data studio has completely transformed my life. I spent so much of 2019, or excuse me, 2018, just doing the, I call them the stop, drop, and roll uh, reports. And now um, now with, with data studio, we've got it automated. I mean, it's delivered out to them weekly. They Most of them have it saved. Uh, so it is just, it's completely transformed how I look at data. Um, and what points I want to look at. But I think you always start with the one that's the loudest and see what the data tells you. I love that. That's, it's funny how you, you, one of the things you had advised a minute ago was start with one thing, one, one client, one thing. Just try to iron that out, get, get your process set, figure out what really works, and then either add something else for them or add a new client. Because when I'm, when I'm advocating for people to be a little bit more data-driven overall within HR, recruiting, any, any part of it, that's one of the things I always recommend as well. Like start with one thing, be great at that, and then you can move on. Then you can expand, mm-hmm. but you've got to solve it for one thing. And as you said, we're unfortunately, it might be just because of the people that are drawn to recruiting – Right. The people that are drawn to that sort of profession are like, I, you know, I've got my toothpick. I'm going to go charge into battle, and they're going to right. <laughs> hope that they can overcome any sort of obstacles with just sheer enthusiasm. And unfortunately, <laughs> the rest of the organization doesn't always have that same level of enthusiasm we have, or that same level of of care we have for for this kind of thing. So, starting small and expanding from there is going to lead to probably the best possible outcomes, and really allows you to to get some good stories too. If you're trying well, to and- get somebody else on, on board, being able to say, you know, look at Mary over there. We Here's what we're doing with her roles, and she is, she is exactly. She's excited. Exactly. Whenever you've got your clients saying, hey, this stuff works, oh, it, it's, it's golden. It's golden. And, I mean, if, if I look, honestly, Ben, if I look over the last, you know, 18 months, two years at, at the data journey, all right, I started small by going, this is not working. And then started looking at, okay, well, the time to fill, that's what everybody's talking about. That's taking so long. All right, that, that, that number is high, but I wonder why it's high. And then I charted the candidate journey and figured out here are my two bottlenecks. All right, so the next question is, 
how do I fix those two bottlenecks? That's right about the time that I listened to the book with uh, about Scrum by Jeff Sutherland. And then we started applying some of these different tactics to see if we could fix those two bottlenecks. And once we started seeing that we were decreasing those bottlenecks, that's when we said, okay, well, now that we've done this, I wonder, could we fix the feedback loop? And then how are we going to measure this? What are we going to do? And then we built the, um, the Hydra <laughs> um, Google Sheet uh, that the recruiters work in. And then I stumbled upon Data Studio. And then with that that beta client, I started going, hey, would you like to see something like this? And uh, one of them was a, a finance group. So, of course, you know, the uh, my minor statistics and finance. And so, you know, we got all over the stuff. It's like, oh, cool. Look at what you could do here. Uh, but we, we, we kind of came up with a baseline of what that report is. And so now if you fast forward 18 months almost, it'll be two years in, in August. Now it's like, okay, that part's done. It still needs to be refined. Now I want to look at once the person says I do, why are they quitting? What's going on? And how does that affect the front end? Everything from where do we find the candidates? What does a successful candidate look like? We're using data to do that. Um, what is uh, even internally? You know, a lot of times companies will go, this person is a fantastic performer. We need to make them a manager or they're a fantastic X. So um, they don't need to stay in this job for a year to kind of understand a master X. Let's just move them right to Y. And then within six months, that person leaves because we either had to manage them out because we set them up for failure or it's not something that they wanted to do. Now we're looking at the data to say, in general, we can even break it down by district, by region. In general, what does it look like for someone who works on the desk internally? What's the career progression usually look like? And honestly, there are some um, HR, uh, HR analytic systems out there that you can click on someone and you can actually look and see what the suggested career path for that individual is based off of the historical data in your organization. It's mind blowing. So, I mean, I, I would just really encourage anyone that wants to take the data journey, one, to start small, two, pick a, pick a client to do some beta tests and to get their feedback, someone who will be honest with you, because the only way to be successful is if you have that honest, that, that radical candor between the two of you. And then three, find a system, an HR system that you can look at and that let the data tell the story for you. And then use that to find more questions to just kind of dig in and say, okay, well, we've done this in this sprint. We've accomplished this. But it's also making me wonder this. And then using the data to go and find your answer along with your client and build that solution together. And honestly, Ben, I know it sounds cheesy, but that to me has been the, the most fun in this entire journey is working hand in hand with our clients, hand, working hand in hand with our team. And with our, our leadership within HR to kind of go, okay, I think we're onto something. Oh, wait, I think, well, we're getting closer. Now, how do we make it better? And that's what 2020 for us, that's what 2020 is all about is how do we make it better? This has been such a fun conversation. Goodness, I've got to, I know, I have so many notes. <laughs> I have so many notes from this because I, it's such a novel, a novel approach and solves so many of the common problems that I hear from recruiting teams all over the place. So if someone is curious, they're, they want to connect with you, they want to learn more or, or learn more about the, the work that BBVA is doing more broadly, right? You're a recruiter. You're mm -hmm. always sharing that out. Always recruiting. Yes. Uh, what's the best way for someone to, to connect? Uh, definitely on LinkedIn. Uh, so it's Trent Cotton, all one word. And uh, I'm on Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> I'm on Twitter 
uh, with the handle Trent Cotton. And I write a lot on my blog, sprintrecruiting.com. And uh, if you reach out to me on LinkedIn, just definitely send me a message. Say, hey, you know, listen to podcasts, love to hear more, and um, I'll send you my calendar and we will spend some time together. I'm, I'm just really passionate about this. Uh, it's not to perfection yet. Uh, but man, with some of the data stuff that we have out there and, and all the AI that's coming out, I, I want to get ahead so that way whenever that new technology comes out, we are prime and ready to be just in the way and ready to kind of be trailblazers. And that, that's what I love about my team is is all of them go, yeah, let's try it. And, you know, we, we kind of charge into it, like you said, but we know that there might be failure, but we also know that as a team, we're going to be able to circumvent that failure and turn that into a success. And that, that I mean, that, that's why my feet hit the floor every morning. So exciting. I love it. I love it. Yeah, um, me too. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been really a great conversation. I've learned a lot, and I'm hoping everybody else is as jazzed as I am. You're probably going to, unfortunately, for better or for worse, you're going to have a, some some conversations started by this. So um, the calendar's it. got a little space on it because you're going to get some, <laughs> some conversations started. So thank you for being here, Trent. No, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you, Ben. Awesome. To everybody else, thank you for joining us on We're Only Human. I'm Ben Eubanks, your host, and we will catch you next time. Thank you for listening to We're Only Human. Please take a moment to share this episode with another HR leader who might see it as a valuable resource in their daily work. For more information about the podcast and to see all our show archives, please visit upstarthr.com.